This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. During Nehemiah's brief absence from Jerusalem, the spiritual condition of God's people had declined rapidly. The house of God was forsaken, the Sabbath day was profaned, and now today we see that the men of Israel had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. To this comes the question of Nehemiah. Shall we then hearken unto you to do this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? If you will remember, in chapter 10 of Nehemiah, a spiritual high point, the people of God had vowed not to do these three evils, that they would not forsake God's house, that they would not buy on the Sabbath, that they would not marry heathen wives, verse 30 of chapter 10, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their sons to our daughters. They had made a vow. We too make vows. We make a vow in marriage. But you see, the devil works very hard on our vows. Vows are promises to God. Vows are something that we will do for God's sake. But the devil hates promises to God. And he is always working to get you in a position to compromise your vow. Now all of this, of course, is very applicable to us, for the scripture was written with you and me in mind. Marriage must be established in one faith in Jesus Christ, in one truth in Jesus Christ. God says that throughout the whole Bible. For instance, 1 Corinthians 7:39, that the widow is free to marry whom she will, only in the Lord. There's the qualification, in the Lord. And I do not know how to stress this strongly enough. Be faithful to God in your dating. Be faithful to God in your marrying. Ask this question. Does he love God in truth? Does she? The crucial reason, of course, for marrying in the Lord will be shown to us in this passage in Nehemiah today. And the crucial reason is children. For the children of these mixed marriages of believer and unbeliever, compromised believer, believer in name. These types of marriages resulted in children who could not speak a spiritual language. We read, And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language. The children could not express spiritual language. Spiritual things were foreign to them. We consider Nehemiah's question, shall we transgress in forming mixed marriages? Many of the young men in Judah in Nehemiah's day were ignoring that. They paid lip service to the need for spiritual unity in marriage and were marrying women of Ashdod, 
of Ammon and of Moab. The availability of these heathen women was ready because the boundaries were gone and they were available to them. Now we learn that this practice of mixed marriage of one of Israel and one of the heathen nations had become common and was advocated. It was common. Nehemiah says, In those days I saw Jews that married wives of Ashdod. He witnessed that it was taking place. It was not isolated. And it was even being done by the priests. We read in verses 28 and 29 of that, A grandson of Eliashib, the high priest, had married Sanballat's daughter. You remember Sanballat. He was the one who opposed the building of the walls of Jerusalem. His name means sin gives life. The daughter of the man called Sin gives life had married the son of the high priest. It had become a common thing. And it was being advocated. It was being promoted. We get that from verse 27 of Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah says, Shall we then hearken unto you to do this great evil? That question of Nehemiah implies that the men who were doing this tried to convince Nehemiah and the people that what they were doing was okay. Shall we then hearken to you? They were perhaps saying to Nehemiah, We will convert them afterwards. We grew up with the girls of Judah. They're like our sisters. We can't marry them. And they were encouraging others to do it. Evil is always bold. When the bonds of holiness are broken by sexual sin, then that will always result in something being bold. That evil always tries to promote itself as right and good and sexual preference. And if you are against us, then you are a bigot. This evil promotes itself. The reasons behind these mixed marriages evidently were two, and both were carnal. The first was lust, the beauty of these women, yes. And the fact that these girls would do what girls committed to Jehovah would not do. They would drink. They would fornicate. They did not see that their body was a special possession of Jesus Christ for the Lord and then one day for the husband that the Lord would give, they did not say no. They did not see themselves as precious daughters of Jehovah. These unbelieving girls had only this life. They had not the standard of the love of God. They had no reason why they should not give themselves over to the pleasures of sin because they did not know God and so they let themselves be used by men. The second was greed, and that comes from the context of the whole chapter. And the impression is from this chapter that the sin of materialism was very strong among God's people and the desire to have more of these things. The questions on the heart of young men and women in Judah when they got married was not, who do I need to help me live my life toward heaven as a pilgrim? That was not the question, but the question more and more was this, how do we reach our dream home? How do we get what we want? How do we have the things of this life? How do we have nice new things that we want? It was out of lust and greed that these men were forming these marriages, but really that was not the reason. 
those were the symptoms. Nehemiah puts his finger on it in verse 27 when he says, Shall we then transgress against our God? There's the point. This was a matter of commitment to God. The Christian's confession is, God is everything to me. He's my master and my savior. He's the love of my soul. His fellowship to me is life. Therefore, I want to be joined to one who truly loves God and loves his truth so that together we might grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ. But the men of Judah in marrying unbelieving women were saying, all of that is words. That's all it is to me. It's just a bunch of words. You can't take religion too far. We believe that God is a private matter that should not control life or affect who we marry. We believe that is not really a principal thing. If we worship God in the form of Ashdod before Dagon, if we worship him through Dagon, or if we worship him through Moab's vanity called Chemosh, or the abomination of the Ammonites, I can go this way or that way. It's my heart that matters right. And in reality, what their heart, what mattered to their heart was her body and her money. Are you ready to get married? Is he ready to marry you? Should you marry him? Should you date him? Is he committed in covenant love to God? Have you convinced yourself of that? Or is that true? Is he ready to obey and serve God and follow God? Or does he want to have Jesus and have Jesus his way? You say, I'm ready to get married. I got a job. I can manage finances. I can fix a house. Very good. You say, we've salted away some cash. Good. Where is your heart toward God? Young girl, have you heard him pray? Have you? Young man, how deep is her faith? Where is her beauty? Marriage must have a spiritual unity. It must have one God, one faith, one hope in Jesus Christ. Nehemiah exposed the evil of marrying outside of faith by citing first a precept and then a precedent. The precept in verse 25. He cites the Old Testament law. We read, And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons. Nehemiah was quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 7. And Nehemiah's anger and sternness is directed toward the fathers. He's reminding them of Moses' precepts. He was saying, Do you have a concern for your son? Do you have a concern for your daughter's soul? Do you have a concern for their spiritual good? Don't you see that as a father you must counsel your sons and daughters for the needs of spiritual unity in their marriage? And then he quoted a, pre a precedent. And that precedent is in verse 26. He refers there to Solomon. And he says to them, Was there ever a king like Solomon, so wise, so acquainted with the workings of sin, so close to God's heart, he believed God? And yet, what happened to him? 
He threw away everything that he knew. He worshipped idols. He made himself base in the sight of God. How did that happen to him? He married many wicked wives. The unholy union, lust of the flesh, pornography, sexual sin, slew, slew the world's wisest man and brought his soul inches from hell and ruined his life and his accomplishments. Marriage is a place for sanctification, for holiness, for two to be brought into life's closest bond. Now are you going to enter into that bond divided spiritually, serving two different gods? This comes to us with urgency. This comes to us with sobriety. Mary in the Lord. Mary in the Lord that you have a place to go with your problems. Mary in the Lord so that you are committed to one thing, to honor God in your marriage. Then you have one goal to strive for. Then you have fellowship with God. Then you're not living with cross purposes in your marriage and then you may expect blessings, blessings each morning. Now, young people, you are most likely to marry someday. When you do, you must ask bluntly and pointedly, what will be the glue of this marriage? What is it that we have in common? Why do we want to get married? Be absolutely sure that the answer is God. One faith, one hope, one love of God in Scripture. The dreadful result, as I was mentioning a moment ago, of these mixed marriages was to be found in the children of that marriage. The children grew up not understanding the spiritual language of a child of God. We read in verse 27, And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jewish language, but according to the language of each people. Now, language is more than just words. The problem was not simply that they could not speak Hebrew, as if Hebrew was more holy than English or Spanish or Dutch. One's language here refers to the expression of their heart, what they hold dear, how they talk. That's the point. There's a language of the world, and it soon becomes plain as you listen to the language of the world and to those who are of the world that from that language you discover that this present life, this world of sin is all that they have. And then there's the language of God's church and God's people in Jesus Christ, and when you listen to them, it becomes very plain that they have a hope in Jesus and that their heart is set upon another world, a world that is ahead. But the children could not speak that spiritual language. They didn't understand it. They could only understand the language of the world. That's all that they could understand. That's the meaning here. They could not speak in spiritual language. They could speak only in the language of the world. The mother in the home spoke the language of this world. And without exception, the children followed her. And then dad came home. And he was a poor example. But he tried to talk of the things of God, of spiritual life, but his kids could not understand. It was not just the words that his wife used in the home 
while he was gone. But it was how she talked with them. For when she opened her heart, whenever you, when, when you, when she opened her mouth, and whenever you open your mouth, it is your heart that is being seen. Don't put your children in daycare for the radio to be blaring of this world and the attendant that is with your child is fresh from the class of the world's child's development. No, no, you talk to that little baby. As a believing mother, you sing and you cry and you talk heaven's language with your little baby. Do you know that language? Do you speak it? You say, yes, I know it, but I stammer and I, I stutter. Continue to speak spiritual language. What language is spoken in your home? We must know spiritual language. We must learn the words of spiritual language. We must learn the words of Scripture. We must fill ourselves with the Holy Scripture. We must be conversant in spiritual language. It must not just be the minister on the pulpit. Do your children know the language of the Reformed in biblical faith? Are they conversant in spiritual talk? What language is spoken in your home? What tongue do you speak when disappointments and troubles come, when setbacks and trials arise? What language do you speak when other people's names are mentioned? What language do you use concerning sexual matters? Is it all the language of the world? Is it all the sayings and the cliches of TV? Is it all the words of songs from this world? Is that all that we know? Do we address spiritual matters always from, or sexual matters always from a obscene, corrupt, joking language? Do we know how to talk spiritually? Are we fluent in the language of sports? Are we acknowledgeable in the language of beer and the brands of beer and cars and computers? What about the language of God's people? Are you ashamed of it? Are you ashamed of speaking spiritually as you stand before the world in your office? Are you ashamed? You know, sometimes people who come from a different country and cannot speak the language are somewhat ashamed to speak because the moment they speak, they, it's evident that they're not natives and, and they, they're not at ease in that new language. Are you ashamed of heavenly language, spiritual language, talking about Jesus Christ? This comes from the home. No, this comes from the marriage. This is why you must marry in the Lord. Because you must speak one spiritual language. It is not the vivaciousness of the girl. It is not her smile. But it is whether she loves the Lord and knows and understands the speech of her God in her soul. What language will you have spoken in your home? Will it be the language of those who treasure heaven? Will it be the language of those who see that this life is temporary, that the only real peace and satisfaction is to be found in Jesus Christ? Or will it be the language of those who see that this world is just a big playground? Or will it be the language of one who sees that this world is a battleground, spiritual battleground for the child of God? Will you have family devotions? 
Will you pray together? Will you be able to talk together about the Scriptures? Will you be able to teach your children the Scriptures? What language is going to be spoken in your home? When you marry, can you speak the same language? Imagine marrying someone who cannot speak the same human language as you. Certainly, we have a communication problem here. But it is even more so in the spiritual language. If you don't talk the same spiritual talk, you cannot communicate. You are of two different worlds. And you will be drawn into her world or into his world of unbelief. You see, that Nehemiah's addressing this issue was crucial. Nehemiah saw to it that God's people walked in repentance. He called them in Jesus Christ to repent, to marry in the Lord. May this word of God then come to us today. May our hearts not be lifted up in pride. See, no need for repentance. But let us be upon our knees in repentance and in sorrow of heart before God. Let us cry out for forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And let us be resolved that we shall live as friends of God in this world. And that we will set the Lord before us, seeking to be united as man and woman spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking the language of eternal life with each other, having God as our all in all, able to communicate with Him and thus to communicate with each other and dependent upon Him. And God will bless us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we have heard Thy word. We pray that it may be addressed now unto our souls. We know, Lord, that the temptations of our flesh are great, but we pray that we may be held by Thy mighty grace and that we may do all things out of love for Thee. Establish our marriages in the love of God, and give us more and more to communicate in the language that He taught us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The Gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.